and welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Scora. Hey there. We are here. Um, so it is uh, November. We just wrapped our uh, Monster Month series for the five Thursdays, it turns out, that we're in October this year. <laughs> Uh, so to give ourselves a little break from coming up with a high-concept topic, we uh, decided to just go with a what-have-you-been-reading check-in. So, yeah, pretty casual, off-the-cuff episode this week, but uh, you guys are still getting two poems read to you, so hopefully that's that's good enough. So should we just uh, get right into it? I guess that's maybe the way to do it. Yeah. should also point out, we uh, are really good at looking at calendars, so we're recording on Election Day uh, <laughs> for an episode that will come out on Thursday. So if we seem a little weirder off, um, uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping this recording session will be like brain bleach for me, so I don't have to think about the election for right. 45 minutes. But um, uh, yeah, so just up top, we don't know what state the country's in when this episode comes out. <laughs> so I, I thought about this exact kind of phenomenon the other day. Um, I have a, a few pen pals, and uh, I was writing some letters. And I'm, I'm really bad at being prompt with letters. I think I'm a very good letter writer. Um, sure. But I get them and it takes me a couple of weeks to like, all right, it's time to write again. Which that makes sense, yeah. Would may be bad news for me with friendships in a pre-internet world, pre-phone yeah. world. You know? Yeah, But uh, I, I had that moment where I was like, oh, you're in mid-letter being like, oh, it might be a completely different world by the time you get this. Like, Oh, like, God, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, sending you good vibes from the past, like... <laughs> I am I'm not a big letter writer. Um, I don't even I, I I actively kind of I I don't dislike cards, but I don't send cards. Um, uh, and I, I just never have been a big letter writer. Um, but yeah, that has to be weird. Just in general, to write some stuff down, send it off, and then know that the person won't read it for like another week or something like right. that, and then to do that in the midst of living through history. <laughs> is uh oh boy oh boy um so i guess we should get to what we've been reading yeah let's 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 read some poems stop thinking about the moment (laughs) uh and this is actually something i read perhaps a couple months ago it was a chapbook that had been on my eye for a while and i finally got around to getting a copy of it um it is the the chapbook is called capable monsters by marlon jenkins i just someone whose poems I had seen online enough and was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm willing to take the dive. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, we'll get into how it's so much more. But as Chris, you saw when I sent you the, the poem, at least on one level, the book's about Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know uh, your familiarity with Pokemon. We're both of the age where there was no way to avoid it. Yeah. I uh, gave my old roommate a hard time because uh, I was I, I stick with the original 150, 151. Um, I, Same I, here. Never beyond that. Um, and this is a poem uh, that evokes uh, a much, much later one. I was going to ask you, uh, could you pronounce the name? Uh, I did. Well, I did a little bit of research. Oh, very nice. And I, I know it's a, a pun on mimic you. So what I've been saying is Mimikyu or Mimikyu. I think that's probably like the way to do it. Yeah. I feel Pokemon like... linguistics of what I, what I know of it. Because <laughs> I'm like you. I'm an original 151 guy. I'm in a, a red and blue. You know, I played the card game a little bit when I was in middle school. Uh, but never watched the show. 
I've beat Pokemon Snap more times than I can count. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd never heard of this Pokemon before. So I've based on what I know of Pokemon linguistics and what I read on Wikipedia, I've been saying Mimikyu. I think that's probably pretty good. Like, I feel like Pokemon's not trying to hide the, like, the pun in the names. No, You know, no. when there is one, they're not hiding it. They're, you know, they, they, they want you to see it. Right, right. Um, the fire dragon right. has the word char in its name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll read this. Uh, Pokedex entry number 778, Mimikyu. And it has like a little subtitle, which is from the Pokedex in the games. A lonely Pokemon, it conceals its terrifying appearance beneath an old rag so it can get closer to, uh, to people and other Pokemon. I could kill a man if he looks too close without even touching him. Take my word for it. Once a lover tried to look me in the eye and died instantly. Look, I don't mean to be this way. I was born and that's when the problem started. Or maybe that's the whole problem. I used to look in the mirror every morning and say, boy, you are beautiful. Three times. But my therapist says I should stop lying to myself. Look how I've drawn on this new face. Look, I get it. I know what you like. I know what they all like. I know what they're all like. I know how your stomach would turn when trickles of toxic sweat drip from my crooked fangs. I never meant to hurt anyone. Please, I know what I am capable of. Trust me, I know what I am. Cotton and crayon covering what I have cut and rearranged, cut and rearranged. I've had to teach myself to stitch, developed this palatable craft. Come see the ragged details on the sheet. Yeah. This poem makes me feel a lot of things. It, uh, so, uh, you know, just so our listeners don't think I react the same way every week, this doesn't blow my doors off like a lot of the other poems that you've brought. <laughs> okay. But, man, this poem is, like, really heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, right. It's, yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, it As someone who does not always have the highest self-image, the uh, highest opinion of themselves... Right. Um, this poem is extremely relatable, uh, <laughs> uh, but also it's just like, and I didn't know the concept of the checkbook before you uh, just explained it, but I think that's a real reminder of just like what fun things you can do with poetry. Like, right. I'm just going to write a chapbook about Pokemon, but I'm going to make the poems absolutely heartbreaking um, right. and, and tragic or, or, you know, whatever emotions they elicit. Um, <laughs> but I just, I think that's, I think it's really cool. I like, I like that concept a lot. But yeah, this is just like, yeah, if you read it and you don't know it's about a Pokemon and you're someone who, you know, has had a guilty, guilty conscience before, it really hits. It really <laughs> hits hard. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, so YouTube's algorithm uh, sent me down an emo rabbit hole today. So I was listening to some like comfort food music from high school and like all those emotions came running back. <laughs> and then I read this poem and I was like, Oh, there we go. Yeah. This, this could be a taken back Sunday. song." <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Um, I mean, that's kind of getting at a number of the reasons that I like felt this would be interesting to talk about. Um, Cause yeah, I really enjoy this poem and it definitely comes from very much a place of like, this is relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I had a hard time picking one poem from the chat book, but, and they're not all these Pokedex, Pokedex entries. There's a lot of them, but I, I really love that. I imagine again, I don't, I don't know this poet personally, I imagine this kind of started as some sort of like, just like fun, motivating, you know, way to like motivate himself to write some poems, to try something new, um, yeah. you know, like interested in Pokemon and, and, but it like, um, this is a total side note. I'm so self-conscious every time I say the word Pokemon, because like <laughs> there's that like adult in your life that you can remember who just like Pokemon, you know, right, like just like, right. the worst, you know, like, embarrassing <laughs> way. So I'm overthinking it every time the word comes out of my mouth. <laughs> but that, like, this poem, it starts with, the, like, the description. And, you know, maybe, you know, you know more about it than the description or not. But at least, like, keeps that that little subtitle description thing as this, like, starting and building block point. Yeah, almost like an um, epigraph kind of thing. Right, uh, an epigraph. That's like it. you're using an epigraph from a video game, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but also in the sense of, like, it's almost like you could think of this as a um, as a persona poem, mm-hmm. but that it is like definitely, I think, very intentionally straddling that line of, you know, this is about finding and understanding things about myself and my own feelings through the lens of this Pokemon and doing that several times. I think there's a a weird metaphor I just like never would have thought of, of, you know, the, the catalog or the Pokedex of the Pokemon, um, the, the way they evolve into different ones. um, And using that as this like comparison point for the way an individual has all these different identities and that identities change, you know, cause yeah, this, the, the, the chapbook's about a lot of different things under the umbrella of identity. Right. Yeah, and, and that, Through like... the lens yeah, of mostly think, Pokemon, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, but yeah, like, using that as an entry point, I think, was is such a, a, a fascinating way to do it, and that it, it works really, really well. Yeah, and, and we were talking about Crassus uh, a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago, right. and, like, this is another way of using other art, like, as an entry point to figuring out other stuff. Um, yeah. You know, like, like, like you're saying, like using Pokemon and the, 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 the descriptors from the Pokedex, the, um, you know, the, the imagery of like what the, what, what Mimikyu, Mimikyu is wearing and stuff like that as like right. a window into the speaker and or poet's own, you know, personal feelings kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I think that's cool. I think that's a really cool thing that poetry can do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess, Part of what excites me about it is I'm probably a little skeptical of, I might want to take that back already. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking of like how pop culture works in poetry, you know, and especially the like tying yourself so closely to something. Um, Sure. It, it can have diminishing returns if you overdo it. Sure. I guess like, I just, I love how intentional it is here. Uh, You know, that it it almost like becomes like a a form. Um, you know, or yeah, it's at least creating its own form, maybe, is a way of thinking it. And, you know, not that it's revolutionary. Like you said, it's, it's an ekphrastic way of, of writing, or it is ekphrasis. 
I can't say it. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> we struggle with this on the episode. <laughs> we don't even remember. Um, <laughs> I do love, uh, this is probably nothing uh, since I haven't read the whole chat book. I do love that the title is Capable Monsters since Pokemon translates to pocket monsters. And like the uh-huh. whole point of Pokemon, well, not the whole point, but like the objective of the Game Boy game was is, you know, you're going around and robbing these monsters of their agency and you, you, you capture them and force them to fight for you. But if this, these are like, you know, you could read this as a, a poem from the perspective of Mimikyu and it, it, it's like what he is capable of and he's kind of horrified of what he's capable of. Right. I just think that's an interesting flip it on its head thing for uh, for a poem about. For sure. And that, that what you just said, like being horrible, what you're capable of, is like definitely in the chat book. Like, yeah. The, uh, the poem for sure, yeah. As I was that's saying, in my eyes drifted back to the poem, and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of quoting a line here. Oh, are you? <laughs> Anyone, that's please, I know what I am capable of. Trust me, I know what I am. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. <laughs> um. I, w- I wasn't thinking it's funny because yeah we've both read the poem multiple times now um but the 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 phrase capable monsters comes up in a different poem um mm-hmm. you know it has the the movie wink wink moment where you say the title you know I mean I'm sure right right the role credits moment right the, uh, um Walter White turning directly to camera and saying we really did break bad Jesse <laughs> <laughs> um I also love this. It's such a dark Pokemon. I mean, like, yeah, like the mm-hmm. poem kind of has to come dark out of this. Wikipedia <laughs> said something. I'm not going to pull it back up, but Wikipedia right. said something about like fans love it because it is like the most tragic Pokemon ever created. Right. <laughs> and like, it's the the cover it wears. If it lifts it up and you get too close to it, it you just die. <laughs> so it has to wear that cover because it's lonely and it needs to fit in with other Pokemon. <laughs> Right, right, and it's you know, and it's like there it is. There's there's the poem, you know. Yeah, yeah. like I read that Wikipedia. Entry, I read the poem, read the Wikipedia entry, went back, read the poem, and I was like, "Yep, that fits." <laughs> but also that I highlighted that line partially because it's um, addressing what the Pokemon looks like and, and like what what its you know whole deal is with the disguise, but just because it's like it's so devastating if you think about it in terms of like how someone grows and evolves as a, uh, as a as a person um i know what i'm capable of trust me i know what i am cotton and crayon covering what i have cut and rearranged cut and right. rearranged um and the repetition of cut and rearranged as like there's multiple rearrangements um yeah it's just like yeah you just it, it made me think of like, you know, times in my life where I've just had to have like moments of personal growth where I've just, mm-hmm. I've had to like, okay, I, I need to fundamentally change some aspect of my personality kind of thing. Right. Not even necessarily for like dark reasons, not, you know, but just like, you know, different phases of life. Like you have to, certain times you have to grow up and, and change in some, some ways. And that was just like, what a distillation of it. And then to know the background of this Pokemon does it so that it can like make friends and fit in with society is just like, man, <laughs> really good. And, and I mean, that is, I, I guess in that perfect poemy way of 
um, being relatable and also like recognizing the gap between myself and the speaker, you know, of, of, yeah. of like you're saying of, I come into this as someone who has had self-esteem issues, um, you know, discomfort with myself or discomfort with fitting in. Um, but this is this extra layer here on top of that, you know, is, is not just that I can't show off my true self to other people and that I have to, you know, cut and rearrange. I have to hide myself, um, you know, under this, this design or this thing that I've designed. Um, but that, you know, the speaker entirely, and I think you could read it both ways, but entirely like knows or believes all of the terrible stuff about themselves. Right. Right. You know, that, that they're afraid of showing, that they're afraid of other people getting close to. Yeah. Um, it's heavy. It's heavy. And I think, yeah, one thing, I, I hope I'm not misreading what you're just saying. I, this, this is what it made me think of, but one thing that draws me to it is like, it would be very easy for this to just be like a, uh, well, we all wear masks, man, to like fitness society kind of thing. And I don't think that's what it's doing. I think it's like, especially knowing what I know about the Pokemon, but like just like reading the poem, I think what it's really is, is like not necessarily an I can't be my true self thing, but there are aspects of my true self that I have to tamp down and that I have to cover and that I have to uh, mask. Um, And, you know, that that's what everyone has to do to live in a society. Like you can't, it's, it's what you teach little kids. You can't be selfish all the time. You can't get exactly what you want all the time. You can't do everything you want exactly the moment you want to do it all the time. And then, you know, as you grow older, if you, if you realize something dark about yourself, you're like, okay, I I recognize I have this in me, but I want to continue living in society. So I'm going to, tamp that dark part of myself down and try to, you know, make friends with people, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) which is what, what this Pokemon's only goal is apparently. (laughs) Lonely. Yeah. I really like as you, obviously that first line is, you know, kind of really stark. I could kill a man. Um, But as you, you know, as you follow it down, like you said, it all feels very kind of relatable at, on a, on the level of like reading this as a person speaker. Right. And then it gets that great repetition. Look how I've drawn on this new face. Look, I get it. I know what you look like. I know what they all like. I know what they're all like. I know how your stomach would turn when trickles of toxic sweat and like still up to there, even though there are like clear once, if you know the Pokemon, you have clear references to the Pokemon, the drawing on the face, the toxic sweat, but it's like not until the toxic sweat drip from my crooked fangs that there's yeah. like an image like a little bit beyond what a person could in theory possess. Yeah. And, and that's kind of happening in a lot of the poems here. And I, I, I to me, I, I, I love that. That's one of the things that I love about this poem is that it, it holds it off for so long um, yeah. until you get to the fangs. And then, it, then it is this monstrous quality. Um, 100%. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Another uh, sort of instance of the, the the turn like that for me, what I highlighted, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna read it a little bit obnoxious, obnoxiously, um, just to highlight since this is sure. an audio medium. But I used to look in the mirror, line break, every morning, line break, and say, "Boy, line break, 
You are beautiful. Line break. Three times. Line break. But my therapist says, line break. I should stop lying to myself. That's not something a therapist is supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but it's it's a it's a, a masterful you know like placement of all the words of uh, you know the therapist isn't saying you should lie to yourself about that. Right, but, right. But yeah, a, a therapist should say stop lying to yourself. But yeah, it's just like <laughs> saying you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, and a the therapist like stop lying. It's just. Like, <laughs> It is so good because it forces you to put all that together. Yeah, in, right. in the ordering. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, oh, set of line breaks. Speaking of, of saying the name. Speaking <laughs> of looking directly at the camera and rolling the credits. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a really good use of form there. Uh, yeah, I, I think throughout this chapbook, I, I just was regularly just kind of surprised and impressed with, you know, just really quick, subtle, surprising moves like that. You know, it's on like a, you know, word and sentence level. That's a very kind of simple, straightforward set of things. Um, but it's, it's placed together just right. It's broken at the right points. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't do this poem or do the topic without, uh, without asking what was your starter Pokemon? You know, I um, I went back and forth between a, a Charmander and a Squirtle, but I would say most of the time it was uh, it was Charmander. Um, I think that's probably Dragon, true. probably true for me. I was never a big Bulbasaur guy. Yeah, most people are not. Yeah, Brendan was. <laughs> My friend August was too. Yeah, I, I know a Bulbasaur guy, but you know. <laughs> If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Brennan was a Bulbasaur guy. But yeah, I was always a Charmander guy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I must have played it through more than one time because I remember the the, how, the excitement of the Charizard for the first time. Um, but I feel like I didn't only play with Charmander. Right. Um, yeah, I must have done it not that much. Maybe one, once or maybe like two or three times. But I think I went I back wanted- and forth. Or maybe I did like a couple of false starts. I don't know. I feel like I went back and forth between Charmander and uh, right. uh, Squirtle. Yeah, I really want that to be a you know a personality question, like you know, who's your favorite beetle kind of thing. But like, I feel like it ultimately really comes up kind of short. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Pokemon is extremely popular, but I don't think it's popular enough to like put that on a job interview. <laughs> depends on the job. That's true. It depends on the job. If you're say, I don't know, trying to work at like Crunchyroll, you know, you could. Um, but yeah, it is a fun question for people of our age though, I would say. Right. Did you play Pokemon Go? I had a big Pokemon Go phase when it first came out. Not very long. Certainly among everyone who downloaded it, I was, I was there. Yeah. Um, I, I think a little bit, I felt uncomfortable walking around looking at my phone. Sure. Not that I don't do that in different capacities all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't really get this. I think if I had friends who were doing it, maybe. But I think that helped me because, yeah, Mel did it first. And so we started mm-hmm. doing it together. And I was like, oh, this is like a fun way to have an excuse to go walk around and also just mm-hmm. like explore my neighbor. Like I found new things in my neighborhood that I'd never seen before. Right. Um, and also one of our favorite date spots that just closed due to COVID, RIP Twisted Tapas. 
was right next to a real hot spot. So it uh, gave us an excuse. We would like go up, treat ourselves to a nice dinner, and then um, uh, go to uh, go to Loyola Beach and uh, catch a bunch of Pokemon. Fun little date night thing. This was very obviously pre-kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my. All right, let's read another poem. Let's read another poem. Okay, so I picked this poem uh, a couple weeks ago. I read from the... Haymarket Books published Breakbeat Poets Volume 3, Black Girl Magic Book, or Volume 2, Black Girl Magic Book, which prompted me to pick up one that I've kind of underexplored a little bit since buying it. Um, uh, volume 4, Latin Next. This is from, and I believe I'm pronouncing your name correctly, but I've never heard it out loud, uh, Melissa Lozada Oliva. I think you got it. I think I got it. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Sorry, Melissa, if you're listening. Petition to get all white girls to stop wearing hoop earrings. There's a petition to get all white girls to stop wearing hoop earrings. I didn't know this was a thing, except when I thought about it being a thing. Like when I rejected my hoops in my backpack once in the middle of the school day, because I thought I heard someone say a slur I was sure was over. My lover told me about this. Showed me the article, the comments, the thread. He has big holes in his ears left over from gauges. They're in the shape of little screaming mouths. These are silly, I'd say. These are fun. Last summer, he threw the earrings into the ocean because, he told me, white people ruin everything. Even though all the girls he chose to really love are named Lauren or Haley. I say this like my name isn't Melissa. Like my name couldn't wrap itself securely around Lauren's neck or Haley's wrists. Like it couldn't slide itself neatly through any of their earlobes and hang there all day belonging. Oof. That ending. What an ending. So, yeah, the, the ending is actually um, what super stuck out to me. Uh, that line, <laughs> um, uh, like I couldn't wrap myself around Lauren's neck or Haley's wrist is... Such an incredible way to describe jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, uh, late in life, become a little fascinated with jewelry. Um, I was raised in Tennessee, around very Southern culture, and men just don't wear jewelry. Uh, jewelry is gay and gay is bad, um, as, as, as was dictated in the early 2000s. Um, and so my first foray into jewelry, uh, besides buying a $5 gold chain from a mall kiosk to look like Michael Jordan or King Griffey Jr. when I was eight years old. Uh, my first foray into jewelry was around 23 or so when I wanted to wear a watch. It just seemed like uh-huh. an adult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just like kind of an adult thing to like get a watch and wear a watch, you know. And then I got married. And when you get married at first, if you've never worn rings before, it's like hard to get used to wearing a ring. But like now I feel completely naked if I don't have my wedding ring on. Like I, I, I sleep with it on. I, I only take it off when I shower, to be honest. It feels important to me because, you know, my wife's important to me. Um, and then either right before or right after we had our son, that whole couple of weeks is a blur, but um, my parents gave us these little beaded bracelets for all three of us, okay. um, which we promptly lost the babies. Um, uh, it's somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, we just were like, we can't put a bracelet on a baby. We'll put it on them later. And now we can't find it. 
but it's like this little reminder of my parental responsibilities, my love for my family. Um, feels like a part of me. Right. Um, a full disclosure, my parents got these on a trip to Guatemala, so I'm doing a little bit of what this poem is railing against, and I don't feel wonderful about it. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is the poem stuck out to me because I'm interested in jewelry as a cultural signifier, as an expression of identity, uh, having these little pieces of things that are super meaningful, uh, mm-hmm. that are always with you. And I, I just really like that. And in this poem, as they are want to do, white people fucking ruin everything <laughs> and turn it into something to be made fun of and reappropriate it later. Um, right. which made me think of my early conceptions of jewelry and how men aren't supposed to wear jewelry. And it just like it really hit in a way of like addressing problems with cultural appropriation and like, how white people come in, you know, say a culture's bad, strip it of all its meaning, and then later strip strip people of all their signifiers and things like that, and then later reappropriate it, like people selling like Native American stuff, or like like blankets or you know designs or right. things like that, you know. Um, so yeah, it just got me thinking about like you know. Uh, these small little items that I constantly have on my wrist and my finger and what they mean to me. And then this whole history of like how that is sometimes frequently fraught and, but also like beautiful and to be celebrated kind of thing. So Ooh, that's where this took, took me. you places. Took me places. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, that's always a good sign. It's, yeah. doing, it's doing something. Yeah. Especially when I'm just trolling an anthology for a poem to read on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, well, because I'm interested in it, too. I, this is a really good anthology, but yeah, I was like, I need to find a poem. I need to find a poem for Bob. <laughs> so, so yeah, this one jumped out at me for that. Oh, I, I hear you. I really like how much the poem sort of just go like, from the title down into it, both changes gears and like takes me in very unexpected places and then also fully does um so, you know some of the work that i was expecting from the title um, yeah yeah you know, you know, like you're saying um about uh cultural appropriation um and so there's so much going on here where to start yeah. oh and then the other part of the ending where she's like as if my name couldn't be wrapped around like right like her name is part of appropriation and assimilation too, you know? And right. I think that's what it is, is that, um, you know, petition to get all white girls to stop wearing hoop earrings. I, um, I read the title. I'm expecting a sense of like, that this is the petition or that this is how the author feels. And, and it's, you know, right. going to move that direction. Um, and it immediately goes the opposite way um, and goes inward, you know, and, yeah. and thinks very much about the speaker's own, experience with this and and what seeing that petition means what it brings up into you know the complicated space that we're always excited to be in right in a poem um like you said where like even um her name once she like frames it that way becomes this place of discomfort yeah yeah and uh and the it's it's only gestured at but if you spent any time at all online when she says uh my lover showed me this, the article, the thread, like, I imagine that as like, you know, I don't know, maybe this is, maybe, maybe I'm too online, but 
I imagine this as Melissa tweeting petition to get all white girls to stop wearing hoop earrings. And then uh, someone writes a think piece about it. And <laughs> like a bunch of, you know, white supremacists are in the comments just being right. horrible and stuff like that. Like my mind immediately went there because that is a huge part of American society right now. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it has always been, but it's amplified, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, once upon a time you could, something out there at least somewhat in the world and not hear all of those vo- you know not have all those voices coming at you right um, we had yeah. letters to the editor in the newspaper but that was like five or six letters you know <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to look closely at where did it go i feel like i'm gonna end up reading half the poem <laughs> <laughs> fine by me i like this poem there's a petition to get all white girls to stop wearing hoop earrings I didn't know this was a thing, except when I thought about it being a thing. Like I would, like when I rejected my hoops in my backpack once in the middle of the school day because I thought I heard someone say a slur, I was sure was over. It's this like really long, windy sentence there mm-hmm. um, that feels very true to like the brain working. You know, yeah. when I like, first hear something like, oh, I just heard about the petition and I feel one way and then I'm you know, swept in a different way. I'm pulled back into a memory. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's a sentence that doesn't roll off the tongue really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, is like true to the brain working. And that, that phrase, the, uh, sorry, I, I'm interrupting you real quick, but that phrase, okay. a slur, I was sure was over. Yeah. Um, is like, yeah, like, I mean, you, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm white, so I don't experience this, but I've, I've, I've seen it happen where people just like, say things that you're like, are we still, are we still using that word? Really? Like, right. that's like a 1930s word. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and that just giving her a crisis of identity uh, is really right. great. Um, but yeah, sorry, um, you, you were saying. I mean, I, I was, which direction to go in? I mean, also that just, that, you know, two, three line thing immediately just takes me back to like middle school and just trying to think of what I know I was oblivious in so many ways as a middle schooler. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. Immediately makes me like wonder about the experience of people I was in school with um, and, and what they experienced that was like this. Right. You know, right. that I probably completely missed and didn't understand, didn't understand that and still only can understand, you know, to an extent. I don't know. I just thought that was an awesome in this one short moment, this kind of windy sentence takes me to all that. But then it moves into those really short sentences. Yeah. My lover told me about this, showed me the article, the comments, the thread. Um, and, and again, like that also in its own way feels very true to the experience of the mind of, you know, it's, it's moving, it's waving, you're being drawn to something and it's a like boom, boom, boom. Um, yeah. All of those thoughts stacking up on top of each other. And again, going into this complicated place, this inward place. Um, oh. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how to connect this back to what you're saying, but like it has all that movement of the mind, but with the exception of, with the exception of her as a middle schooler or elementary schooler, whenever the poem doesn't, right, it doesn't say. with the exception of her rejecting her hoops, that one day there's no um there's no real hint of like any kind of self-hatred or 
mm-hmm. um, or internalized guilt or anything like that. It's it's all very it's a very um, stand in defiance of white supremacy poem. Even with the boyfriend chucking his earrings into the ocean, uh, mm-hmm. that's not like I can't do this anymore because white people made me feel bad. It's I can't do this anymore because fuck white people, you know, um, there's, it's a very kind of, um, there's a, there's a sort of confident tone to it that I really appreciate. Sure. I guess there's an interesting moment of uh, thinking of the tone there. I guess, so I'm, I'm looking towards that ending, um, thinking about tone. Uh, even though all the girls he chose to really love are named Lauren or Haley, I say this like my name isn't Melissa, like my name couldn't wrap itself securely around Lauren's neck or Haley's wrists, like it couldn't slide itself neatly through all their earlobes and hang there all day, belonging. There's a lot wrapped up in that, for sure. Um, wrapped up is the word. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it's a, it is a a bit of a gut punch of an ending. Um, Absolutely. It, it's, it's like, yeah. It goes from, you know, the windy sort of memory sentence that we were talking about at first to the, the, the staccato sentences to memories of a lover and then, like, just being, like, a real sort of identity gut punch there, you know? Like that's a, like that's a, getting to it. Yeah, absolutely. I am, I am who I am, but, but like, man, where, where, where does my name come from, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's, it's, I think it's crucial, like, that her last name is... Uh, Lozada Oliva, no hiding where that comes from. Mm-hmm. And, but Melissa is, she only says her first name right. in the poem. And Melissa is kind of a, you know, typical white girl name. My cousin's name is Melissa. <laughs> and uh, that knowing that you can't hide because of your, not hide, you can't pass because of your last name. But your first name, if people only know your first name, right? Uh, you know, uh, maybe you can you can code switch, you know, kind of thing. I guess, yeah, that final moment, the word belonging, which is also like hanging there all by itself. It's just, yeah, it just sits there. Right. And it, it, it really leaves you with this note of questioning that sense of, you know, like recognizing where the speaker does feel she belongs um, or when in which way she doesn't. You know, both in terms of the identity, but also with the lover. Man. Yeah, and it, it is like it is to 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 do a little form thing. Like it, it is a crucial that it it sits there all by itself, like on a on a single line. Mm-hmm. Um, not a stanza break, which I think is interesting because it's connected to the rest of the poem. But um, there are no stanza breaks in this poem. Um, it's 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 connected there, but but that belonging. Yeah. It would not be it, hanging if it was on in the next stanza. It would be on its own. It would have dropped. It would off. be on an island. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but that belonging, the fact that it's just hanging there by itself, it's the only single word stanza in the poem. Right. Makes yeah. the belonging feel really lonely. It really, yeah. It rings at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it feels very lonely. That's a that's a great way of putting it. Which belonging should not feel lonely. Yes, there it is. That's what's good. <laughs> Um, but um, but it absolutely can, you know. This is um, the smallest thing, but I, I just like I can't get past it. He has big holes in his ears left over from gauges. They're in the shape of little screaming mouths. So perfect. 
Yeah. It's yeah. So perfect. <laughs> I know a much lighter quality about the poem. Yeah. I, I can't not. It is a great like, description. It's beautiful. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I apologize to, to take us off the rails too much, but um, I I taught for a couple years in a Catholic school where there was a dress code and students, I think it probably actually was actually going back to the beginning when you were talking about, you know, jewelry, I think um, male students were not allowed to have pierced ears. Mm-hmm. And so one student who uh, had gauges um, had to take his out and he put them in and then was told to take them out like all the time. Yeah. Um, but I had him at the end of the day. And so uh, he would always have them out by then because someone had told him um, and he would just sit in class and put his pencil through the big old holes in his ear. <laughs> it's the most disgusting thing. I, I definitely it, it saw just people makes do me that. so uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, I have, a, I have a funny story about gauges. Um, a band that was in a high school, the bass player, had huge gauges, like, mm-hmm. like really, really big ones. And he was coming over to my house one day for band practice, and uh, you know, my dad comes out in the garage for something, and my, my dad's a surgeon. And very calm and friendly way, not like a judge, well, maybe a little bit of a judgmental a way, bit. but, you know, uh, my dad goes, you know, in a couple of years, when you want those uh, taken out, just uh, give me a call. and uh sometime around college sure enough greg calls up my dad and was like i'm getting married this summer or i think he was getting married this summer uh, that summer but maybe i'm mixing up the story but uh i've sort of lost lost touch with him but um but yeah he like called up my dad and uh fixed the gauges my dad fixed his gauges wow I had lost touch with Greg at this point. My dad calls me up and was like, guess who I just saw in my office? <laughs> and uh, and then, like, a little, you know, like, another year down the line, I ran into him, like, at, the, at, the, at, at like a record store or something. And he was like, hey, man, yeah, your dad fixed me up pretty good. Like, yeah, tell him I say hi. That's my gauge's story. But yeah, I definitely wow. had people in high school doing the, the pencil through the, through the ear hole thing, too. <laughs> yeah. oh, gauges are cool. Makes, Pencils it, through the ear hole is not cool. It just makes me squirm. The pencil through those little screaming mouths. like Because it's, it's wood and lead. Like, <laughs> it's not... <laughs> it's NBA time. We broke down. <laughs> so, uh... Since we were talking about poetry, or poetry, we're talking about poetry <laughs> we're this whole time. about poetry on the podcast. <laughs> it's a poetry podcast. That's what the podcast is about. <laughs> Since we were talking about Pokemon earlier. Gotcha. What's your favorite player evolution? I think, uh, I think Bill Simmons popularized this term. Uh, but uh, it maybe it was around before him, I don't know. But um, So the way people talk about how like LeBron is the evolutionary magic or MJ is the evolutionary David Thompson kind of thing. Um, the idea that when a player comes along and modifies an archetype with a new skill set. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. following. So I went back and forth a little bit. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about what Bam Adebayo is doing with the stretch mm-hmm. big point center thing, but I, I don't didn't feel like I quite had enough vocabulary for it. So I had to default to 
one of my favorite positions. Dame Lillard as the evolution evolutionary Allen Iverson. Ooh. Um, like he plays with like a lot of confidence and swagger. Um, he absolutely thinks he can win every single game he plays. Uh, <laughs> his handles aren't quite as good as AI's, but who whose are? Right. He also has two things that AI didn't have: trust and goodwill towards his teammates, <laughs> <laughs> and literally thirty-seven foot range. Um, he's so fun. Uh, I love Dame Lillard, and um, I have never once believed they were going to do it, but I stealth root for the Blazers to win a championship every year because I think Dame Lillard looks <laughs> so cool. So that's mine. Dame All is right, the evolutionary I like AI. I like it. Um, I mean, I, I also just like like when we give attention to like how good Lillard is, uh, because like you know it's, it's impossible for like he's completely overshadowed by Steph. Yeah, in the sense of like yeah. A, Similar game. I think I, I like this comparison because it highlights, I, you know, Lillard, I think, a little bit better kind of getting his own shot into the basket. I mean, not that Steph, obviously Steph can get his own shot, you know, but yeah, I think Lillard Steph gets more chances to, to show it and has had to, like, get beat up a little bit more because there's fewer weapons on his team, you know? Right, um, right. Steph is absolutely better than Dame Lillard. There's no question about it. But Steph benefits a lot more from having a very well put together and well coached team. Whereas right. Dame Lillard has a moderately well put together and <laughs> decently coached team. Well it's kind of like up and down, you know, like it's it's yeah. been better and worse. But yeah, Steph's had a great situation since like year three. Right. Um which is yeah, the thing with, with Lillard is that like if in a universe where there's no Steph Curry, we're talking about Lillard as the guy who changed three point. Absolutely. You know, like yeah. um I guess I need an answer for this, don't I? Shoot. Evolution of a player archetype. All right, how about... This is getting a little bit into uh, what I would like to see happen. Okay. Um, uh, That's fun. The first thing that came to my mind when you said it was just, I thought of Draymond Green immediately. I thought of Draymond too, yeah. You know, just because, yeah. And I, I just, I wasn't quite sure what to say he evolved from. Right. Because <laughs> he's such a unique player. But I, I've heard in the past sports writers or podcasters or whatever saying that they would like to see Aaron Gordon take on that game and become oh. more of a defensive-minded guy. Yeah, I think Zach um, Lowe was just talking about that. Like, he has to look ago. for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But I heard someone earlier, like the last couple days because part of my, like, not trying to think about the election has been, like, listening to everybody talk about Daryl Morey on the Sixers. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Is that someone was saying, uh, you know, what happens if Ben Simmons becomes more of a Draymond Green type? Um, he's defensively oh, yeah. good enough. I don't really think he can guard centers, but because they have Embiid there, he doesn't need to guard centers. Um, you know, but, like, uh, all of Draymond's playmaking and athleticism is, like, exaggerated. Uh, is is much better in Simmons, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. He's already a significantly better um, playmaker. Um, he's a much better passer. He's four inches taller. Right. He's every bit as good a defender. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, you know, I yeah. actually, I really like that. It's always bothered me that people say the Simmons and Embiid pairing can't work. Mm-hmm. Simmons and Embiid pairing can absolutely work. Brett Brown just sucks at coaching. Like, <laughs> They should have been playing him at power forward all along and surrounding them with, with um, shooters. Like right. you hang on to JJ Redick and Robert Covington, and you get some point guards in there who can shoot. You get some other wings who can shoot, and you can absolutely play them together if you have if you 
need to get Simmons off the floor so Embiid can get some touches or you need to like get Embiid off the floor so Simmons can like play small ball point center or whatever. Um, you can do that. You just build the right roster around them. But instead it's become like, why can't these two top 15 players play together? They absolutely can. They just have been coached wrong the whole time. <laughs> Says the guy who couldn't make his middle school basketball team. Doesn't know anything about coaching. <laughs> but yeah, I like that a lot. If, if, if Ben Simmons became like, yeah, Draymond Green with Ricky Rubio's court vision. Like, yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be sick. That's a good pick. I really, I would really like to see Ben Simmons uh, be awesome. And I get it. He can't shoot. I get it. Yeah. Well, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (sighs) The Sixers are interested in trading for James Harden. No, I don't think they are. Well, they they said they were interested. Sham said they were interested, and it's like, yeah, twenty nine teams were interested in trading for Michael Jordan when he was playing. The Bulls weren't doing it. Like, it did, the report wasn't. I just loved it because the report wasn't. Houston is interested in moving Harden. It was right, yeah. The Sixers would like to have James Harden. It's like, yeah, I bet. I bet. Like, dude, <laughs> dude averages thirty five points a game. I bet you would like to have him. <laughs> Oh my! Um, shout out to uh, our theoretical future listeners uh, living, um, hopefully, in a slightly better time. Yes, <laughs> for putting up with the the out of sortsness that we are today. Yeah, yeah. We um, we hope you are listening to this in a good time. Uh, we hope everyone is safe. Uh, we hope everyone is. Uh, I don't think we have any Trump supporting listeners. We hope everyone is happy with the election results. Right. And, um, uh, yeah. And, you know, at the very least, we hope this is 45 minutes of brain bleach for you instead of doom scrolling. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's an episode. We'll talk to you guys next week.